More questions are likely to be asked this week about last week's violent disorder in Dublin city centre. Which was a combination of mindless violence and also that pernicious racist xenophobic violence against our migrant community. This is not who we want to be and this is not who we will ever be. Five days on from the Dublin stabbings and riots, Ireland is trying to figure out what this all means and how to respond. The Gardaí and the government are under pressure for letting this happen on their watch. I have no confidence in the Justice Minister and no confidence in the Garda Commissioner. And the people of Dublin are a bit more fearful than they were a week ago, particularly the city's immigrant population. For those people, for the immigrants, the violence often includes racism. We hear abuse calling us foreigners, telling us to go home. I would not blame anyone at all for feeling that Dublin city centre is unsafe. Conor Gallagher is the Irish Times crime and security correspondent. The perception matters. If people feel unsafe, then that's something the government needs to get on top of. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Sarah Kapalak. Today, after the riots, what's next for Dublin? Conor, what do we know about the child and the teacher who were injured in last week's attack. Unfortunately, as of Monday afternoon, as, as we're speaking, there's no significant update. Um, the little girl, five-year-old girl, remains in an extremely serious condition in Temple Street. The teacher who shielded her and the other children from further attack and, and likely saved lives also remains in a, in a serious condition. Thankfully, the two other children... Uh, five-year-old and a six-year-old have since been released from hospital and of course the other person the suspect he remains in hospital with relatively serious injuries he was actually in an induced coma there is actually some worry among Gardaí about the possibility of long-term brain damage which obviously could have implications in terms of investigating and prosecuting and even just uh, getting to the bottom of why this person did this horrific act um, but that, that's all up in the air and they're, they're still waiting to interview him it won't be today it won't be tomorrow before they can interview him um, you know they're still waiting on medical clearance there And do we know anything more about this man Connor? who he is? We know he's an Algerian he came to Ireland 20 years ago applied for asylum um, it seems that was rejected but he appealed this decision and was later allowed to, to remain in the country about a decade ago, he became a naturalised Irish citizen. He seems to be a little bit of a drifter, an isolated type of person, not particularly religious, not linked to any groups, you know, which might give an indication as to the motivation for this attack. Doesn't seem like he had any link to the school. And there is some suggestions that he uh, had a grievance about uh, social welfare entitlements whether that's a motivating factor, we just don't know yet. But it obviously is one thing the Guardian will be looking at. And we know that Guardian seem to be fairly confident right now in ruling out terrorism or kind of Islamic extremism or anything like that. Possible that mental health issues are at play, although again, to what extent they were a motivating factor or, or a uh, it's just not clear. We do know he was up before the district court earlier this year on two charges, uh, possession of uh, an article, namely a knife and criminal damage to a car. Court records show that there was no order made in that case. And that's kind of an unusual outcome. It means the case is finished, but that the judge has decided not to impose any sentence or even the probation act. So what that means is 
he kind of walked free from court as if it had never happened and, and that's kind of a discretion judges can have if there's not justification but a very good explanation for why someone committed a crime it's often used if someone has serious mental health problems but again we just I've just seen the basic court records um, so we don't have any more insight right now into why no order was made in the case. How are the streets of Dublin feeling today? Is there still that strange tension in the air and what are the chances that we could see more disturbances on the streets of the city anytime soon? Just after walking through Dublin there and I have to say everything's very normal. Um, The cleanup is pretty much complete. A marked difference I think from Friday when you know I was in the city centre on Friday night and everyone was really worried about a repeat. But the fact is for once, some people might say there are an awful lot of guards around. Those guards are still around. So trouble isn't having much of an opportunity to kick off. And we saw that on Friday and on Saturday that Gardaí were very, very quick to deal with anything that might resemble public order. Um, and some people might have seen videos of Gardaí, you know, arresting people quite forcefully. Not people necessarily involved in protests, but people just in, involved in general public disorder. How long that will continue? I don't know. I mean, you've got massive resource and issues with the Gardaí. Uh, you've got Gardaí who are obviously exhausted after last week, who worked very, very long shifts. Gardaí who were pulled from divisions all around the country. So I suppose the next quote-unquote flashpoint will be next weekend to see if there is a, a repeat. At the Palestinian march? Palestinian march or any large gathering. I suppose any just big crowd has that potential to kick off if counter-protesters turn up, you know. You mentioned that you've just been walking through Dublin city centre on this cold, sunny day and there was a gathering on O'Connell Street in the last hour of trade unions from across the country coming together to talk about what happened on Thursday and representing organisations, whether it was teachers, healthcare workers, the guard, the shop workers, a lot of whom were affected by the riots on Thursday. Now, there were also representatives from these groups and one of them was a bus driver called Christian who spoke about how it felt being a bus driver last week and also a bus driver who was originally from another country. Christian is from Romania. Dublin is getting, as a a city, is becoming a harder place to work for transport workers. Unfortunately, what happened last week, last Thursday, one of our colleagues in Sibto was attacked in the bus because he has a different color of the skin. That's not acceptable. For those people, for the immigrants, the violence often includes racism. We hear abuse, calling us foreigners, telling us to go home. But like I said, I'm Irish. My home, it's Dublin. One element of what happened last Thursday that has been somewhat overlooked is how this has affected Ireland's immigrant community themselves. They witnessed, like the rest of us on Thursday, people going out and shouting anti-immigrant slogans and rhetoric. Do we know how they're feeling? Are they in any way worried or perhaps scared about being a foreigner on the streets of Dublin right now? Yeah, that anti-immigrant element of the violence has gotten somewhat overlooked in the broad scheme of things. Obviously, everyone knows that it was the far-right activists who lit the spark of this, but the prevailing narrative is that it was just kind of wanton violence and thuggery that took over. And and that's accurate, but it ignores the fact that amongst that wanton 
violence and thuggery. Accommodation centres linked to asylum seekers or refugees were specifically targeted. So, for example, a kind of a warehouse-like facility which had been used very briefly for asylum seekers months and months ago was targeted and uh, it was petrol-bombed, basically. And the Dublin Fire Brigade responded very quickly. There was a security guard there. There was no um, residents there. But they had to don breeding apparatus and go in and rescue the security guard from, from that warehouse. So, you know, really, really lucky there wasn't um, more serious injuries. And, and indeed, that's a place that has been targeted before by anti-immigration um, activists, for want of a better word. There's a place on Parnell Street, which had previously been used for uh, asylum seekers, a hostel that had, I think, all of its windows put in, as far as I could see. And even among the rights uh, you know, immigrants were on the receiving end of, of abuse. Uh, just to give one example, early on in the day, there was video of um, a guard uh, dressed in, and the guard was dressed in a pu- full public order gear, and he was trying to defend the crime scene of where the initial stabbings took place on Parnell Square East. And he, uh, it was black, this guard, and he was getting horrendous racial abuse hurled at him by, by members of the public, and that has continued and that has led to a, 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 a real fear amongst immigrant communities and not just asylum seekers but all you know anyone who, who might seem foreign or not from this country there's a fear there and we've heard them they've been getting in touch with us in fact uh, the Algerian embassy sent out a message to the um, Algerian community where it's um, warned people to stay away tests in town to be extremely careful about their safety and to avoid places that have been the subject of uh, of violence Only 34 people have been arrested so far in relation to last Thursday's riots. That seems like a very small number when you think of the hundreds of people who were out looting and setting fire to guard the vehicles. Yeah, uh, I suppose it can be explained to a certain extent by the fact that Gardaí uh, responded on Thursday night were very much focused on containment and stopping the disorder rather than making arrests. I mean, they had limited personnel. You know, there was a huge rush to get more uh, Gardaí into the city centre. And, you know, the way public order Gardaí work, they're not focused on arrests. They're focused on preserving public safety and public property. I mean, I was there on Abbey Street and and watching people mass off, throwing bottles um, at Gardaí, you know, hurling dogs abuse at Gardaí, threatening Gardaí in very explicit terms. Uh, and, you know, they were shouting all this at a row of riot police, basically. But And the guards, uh, you know, didn't make any move to arrest these people, which is completely understandable because they have to maintain that line. Only 34 were arrested. Gary have promised more arrests. They're going through 6,000 hours of CCTV footage. Now, a lot of these people, possibly most of these people, were masked in some way. So it will be a real challenge to identify a lot of these people. But I think we can be fairly certain there will be more arrests. On Saturday evening, Minister for Justice Helen McEntee released a statement saying there have been 48 arrests um, since the since the violence. But I, I kind of queried that a bit. And yeah, it was only 34 actually related to the riot. And the remainder were just normal public order arrests that would happen in Dublin uh, anyway. So Gardaí tell me they're not yet in the arrest phase of the investigation into the riots, but that it is coming. What are the tools do Gardaí have at their disposal to identify the people who are out in the streets on Thursday? You mentioned that a lot of them will have been masked, so it'll be tough to figure out who they are through 
CCTV footage. Extremely tough. They can track people's movements back through the city. You know, the city's covered in CCTV cameras. As I said, there's 6,000 hours of footage, which gives you an idea of how many cameras are involved. So, you know, even if someone was masked, they could presumably track them maybe back their movements back through before they masked up. But that requires a huge investment in man hours and possibly might be beyond the capabilities of, of the Gardaí. Um, and that's why there is this big push on for facial recognition technology and why it's one of the things um, Helen McEntee has promised to roll out. Gardaí should not have to spend thousands of hours trawling through CCTV footage to identify these thugs. And so I intend to ensure that this legislation will now cover these type of events. Very controversial technology. Uh, civil liberties campaigners are quite worried about it for obvious reasons. Uh, one thing that occurred to me actually was, so they want to use this uh, as an investigative tool. So you have 6,000 hours of footage. You just put in a suspect's face and see if he appears in any of the things and it could spit it out in a couple of minutes, presumably. But what about using it in a live setting? So a camera on Grafton Street, if a criminal or, or a suspect is walking up Grafton Street, would they be able to be picked up live and arrested? That obviously would be a, an amazing investigative tool, but brings with it very, very real civil liberties concerns which go beyond the retroactive use of facial recognition technology. I got onto the department today and they just told me there that uh, it won't be used in that way. It won't be live recording or live use, which might give some reassurance to some of the opposition TDs who have raised concerns and indeed the Green, Green Party TDs. You've mentioned the lack of resources uh, when it comes to Gardaí. What about feet on the ground? We know that extra reserves have been called in over recent days and that Gardaí are working overtime to patrol the streets of the capital. But how sustainable is that, both when it comes to available Gardaí, but also the cost of this? It's not sustainable in either respect in terms of numbers and cost. Um, and indeed, I think we're, we're already starting to see that the numbers of Gardaí on the streets uh, taper off significantly after the weekend, uh, which is understandable to a certain extent, you know. The majority of the danger has passed of mass civil uh, disorder. But in terms of going forward, yeah, like it's a real challenge for the guards. More Gardaí are leaving than are coming in. The government point to plans to hire a thousand this year. Will they get to that figure? I'm not sure they will. I don't think they'll get to a thousand, certainly. And there's, you've got huge numbers of Gardaí leaving and not leaving once their time is up, but actually retiring early. They bring with it, you know, a huge amount of experience goes with them. So, the guards are in a tough position as it is, and this is going to stretch them even further. Uh, it's a little bit of a perfect storm in policing. Just to go back to Thursday for a minute, the violence was immediately described by many as being incited and organised by the far right. But it seems that only a small number of far right instigators were actually present during the rioting. What do we know about the figures who helped organise this gathering? Well, it's the same figures that have uh, been at the forefront of organising gatherings. Uh, over the last year and even further back, you know, the same people who were organising and attending the protest outside Leinster House in September on the first day of the Dáil term, when you had, you know, these notorious pictures of a, a mock gallows erected outside uh, Leinster House, politicians being intimidated um, as, as they came to and from the building and, and later in the day, um, politicians and staff being actually blockaded within the building. You know, these are the same people, you know. And there was mass condemnation of that. There was promises to crack down. Um, but the same people were out again 
gleefully highlighting the fact that it was a foreign national who is suspected of carrying out the, the horrific stabbing attack on Parnell Square and trying to get people to organise and, and to come out. And what's interesting is a lot of those uh, calls to arms on social media have actually been deleted since. So there certainly is a little bit of fear um, out there that the Gardaí might be looking at them and the Gardaí tell me they are looking at these organisers and they are looking at these tweets. They also warned, though, that bringing criminal charges on the back of things like tweets telling people to come out and protest is very, very difficult. You know, it's, it's, it's under kind of incitement legislation, but incitement is quite difficult to prove because you have to prove that they knew criminality was likely to follow on. And that's, you know, that's a pretty difficult thing to prove. Connor, what do the last few days say about the safety of Dublin City in general? Do you believe Dublin is becoming more unsafe or was this just a highly unusual and rare event that is not reflective of the general stability of this city? What I've been kind of saying when people ask me that question last in recent months when there's been a real spotlight on safety in Dublin City is, you know, trying to be quite sober about it and analytical and trust the data and, you know, so, well, you know, the numbers of assaults are broadly in line with, say, pre-COVID levels. Um, you know, it's 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 more perception than a than a fact. Um, after <laughs> Thursday's events, that feels a little bit hollow. You know, I would not blame anyone at all for feeling that Dublin city centre is unsafe. You know, um, if and even if you remove the uh, Thursday's violence, you know. And, and part of this is to do with the nature of social media and the spread of social media and these videos which instantly spread around of, of the most horrific attacks uh, you know and they're often taken from upper windows or or, 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 or or you know from across the street and it does create this perception that Dublin city is uh, becoming more and more unsafe um, you know and the perception matters you know mm. If people feel unsafe, then that's something the government needs to get on top of, even if the assault figures are roughly in line with, with, with previous years. Coming up, how did Minister for Justice Helen McEntee handle the riots? And is her job now at risk? I speak to political editor Pat Leahy. Over the weekend, pressure has been growing on Minister for Justice Helen McEntee, with Sinn Féin and the Social Democrats calling for her resignation. On Sunday, she defended her and the state's response. Working closely with the Garda Commissioner, working closely with my colleagues, work, colleagues working closely with members on the ground. That is my focus, my priority. Anybody who wishes to sow division at a moment in time where we need to be unified in a response to a group of thugs who want to take what is a hugely traumatic act to happen to a group of small young children leaving their school. They should really think about what their priorities are here because my priority as Minister for Justice is making sure that these families, these communities are protected and that those who wish to cause havoc in our city are treated in the way that they should be and that is as criminals. Pat Lee is political editor with the Irish Times. Pat, among the criticisms of Helen McEntee that have been made since the riot is the obvious one, that the state's approach to both inner city policing and intervening with the far right has been much too lax on McEntee's watch. We know that Sinn Féin and the Social Democrats want her to resign, but how much criticism is coming from within the government coalition or even within her own party and 
what are these criticisms? I mean, I suppose the obvious criticisms are being laid at her door. We saw this even from Fianna Fáil backbenchers last week, not so much from ministers, but from backbenchers and, and in some cases from senators last week that, you know, that the softly, softly approach as it is characterised that the Gardaí have employed to deal with far-right street violence or threatening demonstrations has proved now we know to be manifestly insufficient and inadequate. And I think that that is something she is going to take flack over. Also, the Garda Commissioner will, but she is the woman in the lens of political responsibility uh, at the moment. And I think it's going to be a difficult week for her because the Taoiseach is going to be at, uh, at the climate conference. She, perhaps unfortunately, from her point of view, was scheduled to do leaders' questions in his stead on Thursday or on uh, Wednesday, I should say, at, at noon. So she's going to be very much front and centre in, uh, in, in the spotlight. The best case scenario for Helen McEntee is that it's a difficult week for her uh, in Parliament, where that scenario starts to deteriorate, perhaps uncontrollably for her, is if there is further if there is further incidents. And I noticed walking in here this morning that, uh, as it was over the weekend, there are crowd control barriers. As we sit here now today, I don't see an immediate threat to Helen McEntee's future. But if things deteriorate, were there to be another outbreak of violence uh, on the street, prompted by whatever, then I, I, I think her position would become very difficult. Another criticism of McEntee has been that she sort of fumbled that initial response to what happened and in the tone that she struck in media appearances on Thursday night especially. For example, she said that the rioters were a small number of people and that this is not an issue of Dublin being safe. How do you think, Pat, she's handled the politics of this situation? I thought that was a mistake for her to say, and I think it was pretty quickly evident that it was a political mistake for her to say, this isn't about the streets being safe. When there was buses burning on O'Connell Street and on uh, uh, O'Connell Bridge, um, I mean, I suppose, like everybody else, she was surprised and taken aback by the scenes that unfolded so quickly on Thursday evening. And there was very clearly, as there was in the case of the Garda Commissioner as well, a sort of a shock and a sort of a, a, a scramble to uh, to respond to it. And um, But I, I, I'm not sure that she did herself any favours with those initial uh, appearances. And I think a couple of the things that she said, you've instanced uh, one there, were in hindsight ones that she probably would have thought, uh, would have thought better of. Uh, that having been said, I suppose the immediate practical on the ground response to the situation was after the uh, was after the riots to flood the city centre with Gardaí, and we even see that uh, we even see that today. There's still a very heavy Garda presence around. How long that continues, or how long it is feasible for it to continue? So I heard somebody make the uh, point over the weekend that the city centre was being policed on overtime. I don't think that will worry Helen McEntee at the moment, as long as it is being policed. But I suppose how long that can go 
go on in such numbers is uh, is something she will have to work out with the Garda Commissioner. Helen McEntee has been talked about as a potential party leader and a future Taoiseach. How damaged is she and her position by all this? For the short term, um, I think it's quite clear that she has suffered significant political damage here. How lasting that damage turns out to be, I think, depends on what happens over the coming weeks. If there is further fallout uh, from this, if there is further, uh, if there's further incidents on the street and also the extent to which she can be seen over the coming weeks to have got to grips with it. If she can do that, then I think there's a political recovery for her. But as things stand, I think she's certainly looking at significant political damage. That's all for today. For more reporting on the Dublin riots, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Sarah Hapollock. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon. In the news, we'll be back tomorrow.